Welcome to Hope once again. My name is Nate. I'm the lead pastor here at Hope Church. And it is an honor and a privilege to just be able to do dance camp for a whole week with your amazing daughters and friends. It's just incredible. We had an incredible week of dance with almost 200 girls discovering hope all week long. Isn't that incredible? Next week for Nerf Camp, there's already over 300 boys registered for Nerf Camp. If you have any boys ages 6 to 12, we would love to nerf with them next week for three days. I mean, dance camp is five days because the girls are amazing. But three days of nerf with boys is about, is about how long nerf can happen. All right? It's just incredibly different, but it's so much fun. Your boys will love it so much. So uh, we want to thank all the teachers and volunteers who invested their lives into seeing life change this week. Thank you. We honor you registration, everybody who was involved in volunteering. Every day, so many girls were responding to Jesus every day. And on Friday night, we were able to serve over a 1,000 people right here in this building, and hundreds of people responded to Jesus all over this room. It was so amazing to see the people of hope represent or represent Jesus so well and impact so many lives at once. Thank you for being hungry, all you volunteers, everybody who led. Thank you for being hungry to make an impact and see people discover the hope that we found in Jesus, right? Hey, Chomp. Everybody say Chomp. It's the name of the summer series that we are in. And last week, we kicked it off with this main principled idea that wherever your appetite is, your actions follow. Wherever your appetite is, your actions follow. Yes, everything advances in the direction of the strongest appetite you own. That's point number one today on your sheet. Just recapping from last week. Everything advances in the direction of your strongest appetite. Did you know that some sharks can smell blood in the water up to a quarter of a mile away? I know that Jaws tells you it's a mile away, but it's a quarter of a mile, and it's only for some really, really good sharks. I mean, they can sniff out so many different things in their area, but one way they hunt when they're hungry is by smelling blood smelling weakness. If something is bleeding, it means it's been injured or wounded, and it's more vulnerable to being chomped. Everybody say chomp. Maybe when you came in this morning, you felt like you were getting chomped. Everybody say chomp. Come on. And it's so, so, so vulnerable to being chomped when there's blood in the water. So really, when sharks smell blood in the water, they smell weakness. So today, they smell vulnerability and they go investigate, what is the blood in the water? Today we're looking at a story of two brothers where one smells weakness in the other from miles away. And he is hungry for what his older brother has. So he attacks, ever say he attacks, according to his appetite. He smells blood in the water. How many of you guys ever seen the, the uh, show Shark Tank? It's been on for like 12 years. If you don't know what Shark Tank is, you've probably been living in a hole. Sometimes... Or maybe in, no, lockdown, you've been watching all sorts of things, right? But here we are, Shark Tank. Sometimes you can, you can tell Kevin O'Leary, he smells blood in the water. Turn to your neighbor and say, do you smell that? I smell blood in the water. And he makes these ridiculous offers and these crazy deals. And Kevin's like, I smell blood. I got this in the water. And sometimes he keeps those, those royalties just rolling in every single month. Here we go. We're going to Genesis chapter 25, verse 24. It says, when the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first one came out red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. That's fun, isn't it? It's like, not when he got older, he had a little bit of man hair. No, he was hairy when he came out. She gave birth to a little Chewbacca baby, okay? And they named him Esau. Everybody say Esau. 
After this, his brother came out, the one who's hungry for a birthright. He came out with his hand grasping at Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob or heel grabber. Also means deceiver, twisted one. So he's tricky, heel grabbing baby that wants what Esau had. He wants what his big brother had from birth. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country. I mean, it matches his chest hair, right? Well, Jacob, he was content, probably looked a little bit more like me. He was content to stay at home among the tents. He was content, right? So funny to be in the tents. And some people are like, well, was he a con artist? What was he? So he's like, con in the tent. Everybody say, a con in the tent. See, Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, his dad, he loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me chomp on some of that red stew. I am famished. I'm so hungry. I have a huge appetite. And Jacob smelled blood in the water. I'm going to say, do you smell that? There's some blood in the water. Kevin O'Leary's like, I'm ready to make a deal. I see vulnerability. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is this birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first, brother. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some bean stew, y'all. And he ate and he drank and he got up and left. So Esau despised his inheritance. He despised his birthright. Wow, what a sad verse. So Esau despised what was rightfully his from birth. Today we're calling this second installment, you guessed it, blood in the water. I would say blood in the water. This has to be one of the worst negotiations in the history of humanity. Esau's birthright meant that he would get double the inheritance of whatever his father Isaac had when he passed away. And Isaac was loaded, people. I mean, he was loaded. He wasn't leaving his boys broke with bills. He was leaving his boys as ballers and shot callers, okay? He was loaded. So to get double the inheritance from your rich dad was a big deal. And Esau made a bad swap. Double the inheritance from your rich father for a bread and a bowl of bean stew? This is so crazy. And everybody's like, yeah, Jacob's such a con artist. He's a con in the tent. He's content. And everybody's always like, man, he's so cunning. Jacob's so tricky. He tricked his older brother out of an amazing inheritance. But he must have been so sneaky and so smart. But I don't know if I buy that. I think Esau was more stupid than Jacob was smart. You know what I'm saying? I mean, who trades hot stew for stacks on stacks? To the tune of hundreds and hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars. I'll tell you who, somebody who's not smart or someone who's bleeding out. We say bleeding out. I mean, this guy is letting his growling stomach stop his growth potential. He's got stacks in the bank coming to him. And I understand the Bible means that they matured. In verse 27, the Bible implies that these boys, they grew up. It says, and the boys grew up. And I understand the Bible means that they're maturing in age, and they matured in stature. But what follows is really a fight for maturity. Paul says in the New Testament, when I was a child, I thought like a child. I perceived as a child. I spoke as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. 
And I always thought that this was a fight for the Father's blessing between two young men, you know, two young boys. But come to find out, this is a fight between two men in their 60s when this blessing thing went down. And yet the Bible says Esau grew up and became a skilled hunter. But did he really grow up? I mean, living by impulse and immature impulses at that. I mean, age 60, he's so led by his appetites, he's so immature, and he's impulsive with something that's really, really important. This is why you never mistake age and time passing for growth and maturity. That's why at the young age of 35, you can receive something, something from somebody. I'm saying there's something about not just age and time passing. The growth and maturity really have nothing to do with it because you can grow up but never really develop within we could call it arrested development. We could call it impulsive immaturity. And there's a lot of that going on in the story. It says in verse 27, Esau grew up and became a skillful hunter. So he got really good at what he did in his 9 to 5, but he didn't grow in who he was while he was going to 9 to 5. So he ended up forfeiting everything that he had that was really valuable because he grew in skill, but he never grew behind the scenes in building his character. And this can happen to any one of us where we're gifted in one area. It says he became a skillful hunter. So he got really good at killing his dinner, but he never really developed self-control over his appetites. Age is not the same thing as maturity. Age doesn't always equal wisdom. I mean, there are some people who are really good at making money. They have a skill to hunt, and then they go out, but they're continually broke even though they make so much money because they never learn how to manage the money that they're making. So you can grow in a gift and act like a child. You can be really good at a skill and still act immature. You might be really good at making friends and meeting new people, but you can't keep a friend. You, know, you have no long-term relationships in your life. Why? Because you learned how to grow out, but you never learned how to grow up. So you can hunt them and bag them and bring them home with you, but you don't know how to return your phone calls. Be faithful and be a loyal person to live selflessly and serve your friends. So first off today, don't mistake external ability for inward maturity. Don't mistake external ability for inward maturity because he might have been really good at some, but he was really bad at growing up. Because Esau shows us you can be skillful on the outside and starving little boy on the inside. And all the sharks around you... <laughs> They can smell that blood in the water. Even though you're like convincing them, I got this, I'm the man, I'm good at this. But there are some people who are sharks coming to that blood scent in that water. So we have Esau who is loved by his dad. They're both hairy and outdoorsy. They really connect and bond over the hair. And Jacob, he's more of an indoor man, less hairy and has a different set of skills. Not as macho, not as manly but skills nonetheless. And in verse 29, it says, once Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country, famished, breaking all sorts of stereotypes, right? Here he is. He's ready to chomp, chomp, chomp. Here comes Esau. And it's important detail because to understand why Esau did what he did, you have to understand the state that he was in when he did it. You have to see where he was at. And here we see he's coming in from the open country, just Famished. So he went out to do what he did every day, but it didn't fulfill him. And maybe some of you can relate to that. You go out to do everything you do every day, but it doesn't fulfill you. And apparently, he's walking around hungry and unsatisfied, even though everybody thinks he's got his ish together. He's bleeding out in brokenness, silently suffering to himself. And he talks to Jacob. 
He talks to Jacob. And then he talks to Jacob. Can I just say, be careful who you talk to when you're in a susceptible state. Be careful who you start connecting with. Remember, Jacob is the one grabbing at your heel when you were born. Jacob doesn't have your best interests at heart. Jacob wants what you have coming to you rightfully. Be careful who you speak to when you're vulnerable, when you're weak, when there's blood in the water. Because if you talk to the wrong person, if you hear the wrong voice, you will make the wrong choice every single time. Guard your heart with all diligence, the Bible says, for out of it flows the issues of your life. So in verse 30, he said to Jacob, quick, you can hear it, his impulsiveness in his voice. Quick, he's a man who knows how to get what he wants and got right when he wants it. He's like, quick, give me some of that stew. Give me some of that red stew. I'm famished. Jacob smelled weakness, and he replied with a shark tank offer. I mean, Kevin and all the other people, they're just, man, I smell weakness. You're not in a good spot, are you? I'm ready. I smell blood in the water. I'm about to take advantage of your weakness. Okay, yeah, here's a deal. First, sell me your birthright. What? I'm thinking, okay, Esau, you're a hunter, you're hairy, and you're huge. Jacob is a cook. Beat him up and take the stew. Don't sell him anything. Break his nose and take the stew. I mean, what's the big deal? But Esau doesn't even remember his own strength because he's weak and he's bleeding and he's hungry. Because when you're hungry for what someone else has, you don't usually remember or see all the strengths that you have. Even if it's pathetic compared to what you already own and what you already got. And in verse 32, Esau goes from this big hairy man to a hungry drama queen. He says, look, I'm about to die. Are you kidding me? Come on, Esau. I mean, we've all been there. We've all been tired and hungry. Some of us are hangry right now. But come on, Esau. You're not a 15-year-old kid. You're not going to die. Don't exaggerate. Don't live by emotions. You're just really, really hungry. Keep it together, man. But this is what happens to all of us. Unsatisfied appetites become exaggerated emotions. And you do things you never thought you would do. And things that don't even make sense. And things that don't even look better than what you have. But you settle for less. He was in trouble because he let himself get so hungry. He did not stay fit emotionally spiritually relationally financially he was falling apart and there was blood in the water and he was so hungry and weak he compromised because he was hungry he was weak because he was hungry snickers figured this out and did a whole campaign around it you're not yourself when you're hungry you settle for way less like this snickers bar when you're hungry you're not just it's like double I'm like am I an idiot if I buy the Snickers or is this helping me because I'll be less hungry it's so smart you're not yourself when you're hungry you're not yourself when you're starving in your sex life you're not yourself when you're financially unfit you're not yourself you do dumb things at work when you are short on cash and you see cash you settle for way less when you're hungry and any good nutritionist will tell you the best way to lose weight is not to starve yourself all day, but to eat smaller portions more often. Because if you skip breakfast and you skip lunch, what's going to happen around 10 p.m. When from, when from the refrigerator, there is a calling. I mean, there's a voice. And it's not from the celery. It's from the cookie dough. It's like, my God, I could use some cookie dough right now. I love the chunks and cookie dough ice cream, don't you? And you'll do anything. You'll do dumb things at 10 at night. 
Because you're not yourself when you're hungry. Smaller portions throughout the day. Be aware of the quick fix that's available in your times of hunger. It probably doesn't have your best interest at mind. And I hope you know we're not just talking about food right now. Because the food is an analogy of your heart appetite, of your soul appetites, your mind, your will, your emotions, of your spiritual condition without a relationship with God. You will stay hungry when you're not connecting to the one who created you. And nothing will satisfy. And everything will come up dry. And everything will come up short when you're not connecting to the source of your strength. The source of your joy. The source of your peace. The source of the intangibles that you can't find anywhere else but Jesus. And usually the reason we make bad deals in life, bad deals with people, and compromise our integrity, it's not because we're bad people. It's not because we're dumb people. It's just because we got too hungry. And we forgot to pack a snack. Pack a snack. Now, I know this might sound crazy to you, but sometimes I get so focused on what I'm doing in my day-to-day that I forget to eat. Are there anybody in here that forgets to eat when you get, like, focused on something? I'm like a bulldog, you know? I chomp onto that thing. I do not let go until that project is done. This happened to me last week at dance camp. We were having so much fun dancing. And at 8 p.m., I realized like two or three nights of the week, I haven't eaten anything today. I left in the morning. I didn't eat all day. As a matter of fact, since I kept skipping meals and coming home famished every night, my wife, she set me up with somebody to remind me every day at work last year because I'd always be coming home so hungry. And you know what? You're not yourself when you're hungry. You have to spiritually pack a snack for yourself and remember to eat it every day. You've got to remember to eat. You don't want to get too famished in any area of your life. You've got to remember to eat. I don't care how focused you are. If you're famished, it's going to go bad. If Esau would have thought ahead, just a sliver, he wouldn't have been set up for such a bad trade, such a bad deal with Kevin. A little discipline. I want to tell you, it goes a long way. And we can laugh at Esau. What an idiot trading millions for one meal. What a pathetic loser. But I find that we can all relate to him with our exaggerated emotions when we get dissatisfied. I mean, you start looking at people who love you, and you take offense about what they're not giving you at home. You get so hungry that you need people to be something to you that only God will be to you. So you start to starve, and you end up so lonely, and you'll settle for sex, but what you're really looking for is love. And you'll settle for attention, but what you're really hungry for is connection. And you'll settle for making money, but what you're really hungry for is meaning in life. And this is what we do when we're famished. We start settling for foolish trades and saying, that works, but it doesn't work. And that helps, but it doesn't help. So Esau starts forfeiting his faith. In verse 32, he says, look, I'm about to die. What good is that birthright to me? And I feel for him. Because I know how he feels. Sometimes it's really hard to honor God who I can't see. When there's a bowl in my face that I can't see. It smells good. It looks right. I can't help myself. And almost everything smells good when you're hungry. If you get hungry enough, you'll start craving stuff you would normally never even consider. That's point number three today. Hunger will cause you to crave things. You would normally never even consider. Anybody ever been there? Wow. I'll kill somebody for cauliflower if I'm hungry enough. <laughs> Especially cooked the way my wife cooks. Mm. And it's cauliflower. Exaggerated. 
emotions, unsatisfied appetites. You'll start saying, well, maybe I'll never get married. Nobody's ever going to love me like that. So since I get real love, I'll settle for a temporary fix. I'll hook up with whoever, wherever, but I want to encourage you this morning. Walk away from the bowl, sweetheart. Beat feet away from that bowl. You're not a dog. You don't have to eat out of a bowl. You don't need some cheap stew to fill you up, some imitation crab. Don't settle for the wrong thing. You're a daughter of the king. You're worth more than that. There's value in you. Don't settle for a broke-down bowl of beans. Better is coming. Somebody say, better is coming. You can get food almost anywhere. Better is coming. Better is coming. We believe that with all of our hearts here at Hope Church. Better is coming. Don't settle for less. God has good things in store for you. No eye has seen it. No ear has heard it. You can't even fully comprehend the good things that your God has in store for you. If you trust him, if you stick with him, better is coming. Birthright is better than beans. I mean, what a horrible trade. Jacob, I'll give you in mind. Give me your inheritance for a bowl. A bowl of beans stew. One bowl. Beans for your birthright. But we do it every day. That smells good. That looks good. And we, <laughs> we feel the immediacy of, oh, my gosh, I'm going to take this if I can have it right now. And if I don't get it right now with immature impulsivity, I'm going to die. And all Esau really needed in this moment was one visit to Hope Church. He just needed one friend. He needed one person who was unafraid to tell him the truth. He had one person who remind him of who he was in Christ and build him up and not beat him down. He needed one experience with God that would change his life. One voice of reason. Just one person to say, this is ridiculous. Ridiculous. Beat feet. Get away. This is dumb. What a dumb decision. Walk away from the bowl. Let's go find somewhere else to eat. Come eat with me. Hey, man, just remember who you are. He's the God of Abraham. He's the God of Isaac. And he's the God of Esau. Remember who you are. All throughout the Bible, you've always heard it said, he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But I want to tell you, he wasn't supposed to be. And somebody need to remind Esau, he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. Remember who you are in Christ. Remember what God has given you. Remember the birthright position that you hold. Don't forget who you are. Don't be so focused on what you're doing and all your skills that you forget who you are and why you're here. It's not about the do. It's about the who beneath the do. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. Remember who you are. It's like Mufasa. Remember, remember, remember who you are. You are my son, the rightful heir, the rightful king. Remember. And I promise you, you come to Hope Church, you will never feel beat down like you're not enough. You'll always feel built up, and I'll remind you of who you are in Christ. And that's more than a conqueror. That's more than enough. That's all that you need for life and godliness. It's in Christ. Remember who you are. Don't go down like this, man. Walk away from the bowl. Let me be that friend to you today. There's somebody in here about to trade your birthright for beans. You've been trading your birthright for a bowl. And I know that God brought you to church today so his spirit could say to you, walk away from the bowl. The bowl isn't worth it. You're worth way more. I know you're bleeding. I know you're being compromised. I know you're tempted. But your integrity is worth more than that bowl. He is better than that bowl in store for you. Amen. Verse 33, Jacob got him to make an oath. Jacob said, swear to me first. He's like, okay, I'll shake your hand. I'll swear to you first. We'll get it in writing. So he 
swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Verse 34, then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil soup. I want you to listen to this. He ate, he drank, and he got up and left. Does it sound familiar? He ate it, he drank it, and he got up and left. That's it. Doesn't even say he enjoyed it. No candlelight, no rose petals, no hot tub stewing. He just ate. No silverware. He just ate. He drank. He got up and left. The Bible says, so Esau despised his birthright. It's so sad to me that he just ate. Man, that didn't feel like I thought it'd feel. Sweetheart's like waking up. And I said, man, that didn't do it like I thought it would do it. Here's a good question for you. Let me ask you this. Are you ready? Here's a good question for you. After Esau ate the beans, where did they end up? You see how quick he got up, right? Anybody had a good bowl of beans before? He was hurrying for some reason. The big question is, where does your hunger leave you? In a pile of the same place? Where is this hunger satisfied going to end you up? Divorced? Broke? Busted? Disgusted? You hear what I'm saying? He got up quick. Because after all, it's said and done. It's a bowl of beans, people. It's not worth it. And it all ends up in the same place. I want to encourage you today. Don't ever give up what you want most for what you want now. Don't ever give up what you want most. I believe that's a point for what you want now. If you do, what you're building will start bleeding. That business you're building will start bleeding. Your marriage that you're invested 10 years into, it'll start bleeding. Your budget will start bleeding. And somebody looking to make a profit will smell the blood in the water and take a bite out of you too. Chomp. Chomp. You don't want to let your budget bleed. You don't want to let your business bleed. You don't want what you're building to start bleeding. This is what happened to Esau, and that's what happened to us. We give up what we want most for what we want now. Well, I really do want to stay around and raise my family. I really like my kids, but she looks really good, and I'm hungry. Beware of giving up what you want most, your birthright, for what you want now, that bowl of beans. We've got to stop giving up our legacy, people of hope. Stop giving up our impact, our power, and our purity for bowls of beans. It's a bad deal. It's a bad deal. The bowl won't satisfy. That thing is not going to fulfill you. Don't do it. Not because you're prude, but because you're wise. Not because you're a chicken, but because you're wise. And today you might be thinking, this really doesn't apply to me. Well, it's really a nice message, Pastor. I don't have a birthright. But I want you to know, you have a birthright. Every believer in Jesus has an amazing birthright. First Peter 1, it says that you have an inheritance, a birthright from him that will never perish, spoil, or fade. It's an eternal birthright. You have a birthright. You have an inheritance. You have been given every spiritual blessing in Christ as a child of God. You have a birthright. And you could trade for beans too. You have an inheritance. There are things that God has set aside for you. He has purposed them for just you. 
He has intended them for just you. He has designed things in, with you in mind for you to do. And it has your name on them. Come on. You have an inheritance. And nobody, I mean nobody, can take away your birthright. Nobody. The only way to lose it is for you to give it away. Is for you to give it up and trade it. See, the devil can't take it. It's not in his power. You have to freely give it up. And from this story, we learn three things about birthrights. Three things that can happen to birthrights. Number one, your birthright can be doubled. And that's good news for those of you who believe in Jesus. We're getting a double inheritance of everything Jesus had. These things and greater you will do in my name. Double the inheritance. Number two, your birthright can be given away. You can give it away. You can trade it. And number three, it can be exchanged. It can be given away. You can just give it away freely. Or it can be exchanged. In this passage, Esau, he gives away his birthright. He exchanges it. And we're all going, come on, man, don't do it. But we do it, right? For instance, in this New Testament relationship we have with God through Jesus, God has given us peace. He's given us all the peace in the world. When you pray for God to give you peace, he's like, I already gave it to you. Here's how it says it in John 14. Peace, I leave with you. Peace, be with you. Peace in you. See, it's an inheritance. He left and he said, I'm leaving something for you and in you and for you and with you. He gave my peace. Here's my peace for you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So God has given you a birthright called peace. And you're able to be at peace even in the midst of chaos. Peace in the midst of problems. Peace that surpasses understanding and human logic. Peace in the middle of raging seas. Peace, peace, peace is your portion. But the world, the world will come to you and offer you exchange every morning. Bowls of worry. Every news channel, bowls of anxiety. Every coworker interaction, bowls of anxiousness, bowls of concern, bowls of worry. The enemy of your soul wants you to wake up every morning and eat those worry beans for breakfast. But guess what? If you eat beans for breakfast, you're going to be sick to your stomach all day long. So I found I just turned it off. I'm not exchanging your worry for my peace. Trading bowls for birthrights leaves you in bad shape in the tummy section. God has given you joy. He already gave it to you. It's in you. First Peter 1.8. Peter says, he gives you joy unspeakable and full of glory. The devil can't take your joy. He can't mess with your joy. Nobody can take your joy. But if you get up and you start eating a big bowl of grumbling, you know, sulky soup in the morning, sour soup all day long, guess what? You'll exchange your joy for a bad attitude. Another one. God's giving you a testimony. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 5, 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Verse 16 of Luke. No one lights a lamp and hides it in a bowl. Hides it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. He has given you a testimony. Yet sometimes we lose it and exchange a big old temper at work for our testimony. A tantrum for a testimony in Jesus. That's a trade I don't want to make. Sometimes we talk trash about ourselves. We talk trash about other people. And we exchange our testimony for negative talk. You don't realize when you're doing it, but you're trading. Powerful, life-giving speech for negative talk. It's an exchange. And all day, every day, there are bowls in our faces that are subtle. And we have the option to be led by our senses rather than our spirit. And I want to encourage you, live, walk, breathe. Go after it in the spirit. 
I don't make fun of Esau. I feel for Esau. Because check out what the writer of Hebrews says. And all of the Hall of Fame of faith is over. In Hebrews 12, 15, he says, See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God, that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble to defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or godless like Esau, who for a single meal, it was just one meal, for a single moment, sold it as inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not exchange what he had done. Wow. I'm imploring you. Don't exchange your inheritance for some silly impulse. And we could get it, stop it right there, leave you all in guilt and condemnation. There is nothing more you can do. You're just an idiot. You're a moron. What are you thinking? You know, what a bad trade. But even though he saw it with tears, he couldn't change what he'd done. But here's another story of two sons in the Bible in the New Testament. And I'm going to wrap it up with this. In this story, there's a younger, instead of the older son, wanted his father to die so he could have his inheritance now. He had an impulse of immaturity. He wanted it so bad right now. So his father gave him his inheritance right there on the spot. And he went out and he spent all of his beans. He spent all of his money. And sure enough, he ran into some sharks that smelled blood in the water. And they partied with him. And they rejoiced with him. And they had so much dissipation. He went everywhere eating beans, 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 beans until he was broke and all the sharks left. And he wasted his whole inheritance when the beans ran out because the beans always run out. When the beans ran out, he got a job feeding pigs with a farmer. And eventually he got so hungry and so desperate, he, didn't, he wasn't chewing on beans. He started chomping on bean pods with the pigs. The pods of the beans. He's eating pig food. And eating pig food was his rock bottom. What is your rock bottom? Culturally, eating with the pigs was even worse than it sounds to us. Pigs were way worse to a Jewish audience that Jesus was talking to. And eating what they eat is the bottom of the bottom of the bottom. You can't get lower than eating with pigs. When the son finally comes to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants are so much more well-fed than I am. And I'm here starving to death again. I'm hungry again. I'm chomping, chomp, chomp, chomping away at beans. He came to himself. He said, wait a minute. My father feeds his gardener better than this. Heck, my father feeds the pool boy better than this. I'm about to be out here starving as a son. So he makes a plan to tell his father he's sorry. He's got this huge sob story. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And he gets this whole speech ready. And he thinks maybe if my speech is good enough, he'll take me back home and I can be like one of his hired servants. But even though he grew up with his father, he never realized his father's goodness. I'll say it again. Even though he grew up in church, he had no idea the true nature of his God, of his father, of Jesus. He had no idea how good he actually was. He had heard all about him, but he didn't know him. Even though he was around his dad his whole life, he never realized how amazingly good his heavenly father was. God might not be who you think he is. He's guaranteed better than you think he is. So he comes home to find his dad waiting and watching with joyful anticipation for his loser son. And his father runs out to meet him. 
Because God never meets you in the middle. You never have to get your stuff together to come to him. He will go past the middle and he will run right to where you're at. He will meet you where you're at. He runs all the way to him. He drops everything to run to you where you're at and he picks you up. You might be starving today. You might feel stinky today. You might be in a suck fest 2021 today. But he is running towards you with joyful anticipation. Not to correct you. Not to harm you. But to love you. To hug you. And he's running towards you to embrace you and pick you up and lift your life. Our God is a gift with a lift. He elevates and empowers you. He doesn't push you down and beat you up and tell you, why would you do that? What were you thinking? What an idiot. No, he never does that. You might not know him. The God I know, the God of the Bible, the God that we serve here at Hope Church, he is for you, not against you. He is joyfully anticipating your return right now. And the father makes a big old scene in front of everybody, hugging and caring and twirling and whirling, kissing his son. And guess what? The first thing the father does, he shuts down the son's shame-filled spiel. Keep your sob story. This is not a shame fest. There is therefore now no condemnation for those of you who are in Christ Jesus. He says, my son, my son, he's come back hungrier than when he left. He is famished. He is ready to chomp, chomp, chomp. Go kill the fatted calf. We're having a party tonight. Go take the best piece of steak we got, slaughter it, and slap it on the grill. We're going to have a party. Somebody here is hungry, and we're going to celebrate with our very best. Turn up the music. Get ready to dance. Give him a robe. Give him my authority. Put a ring on his finger. My son was dead, but now he's alive. He was lost, and now he's found. Now it's time to celebrate. You see that God of the New Testament, and you're like, oh, 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 wait, wait, wait a minute. Think, what? What? There was one son named Esau who rejected his birthright, totally blew it. He left home. He signed off on a terrible deal. He lost everything, and he couldn't get it back, even though he cried for it over and over. And then there's this other son who wasted his birthright, became so starving back home, and he got it all back. I told you God wasn't fair. And all the fairness police are like, what's the difference? Why one son and not the other? It's not like their attitudes were different. The boy didn't come home because he was like, man, I love my father. He had no interest in his father. He came home because he was interested in getting food. He came home because he was hungry. Because every time you satisfy your own hunger, you're going to come back hungrier. So what's the difference? It's not the fact that they wanted the father and they really were sorry and really wanted to do better in life, just really bootstrapping it out. No, 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 no. Today I want to remind you there's another firstborn son. His name is Jesus. He's the firstborn among many brethren and sisters. Romans 8, 29, the word of God tells us, for those who God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the first son. The firstborn among many brothers and sisters. See, Jesus was the firstborn son who didn't take the bull. He didn't sell his birthright. See, a birthright could be transferred. Thank you, Jesus. And Jesus, the firstborn of God, the only begotten of the Father, 
will give you your birthright back if you will simply believe today. Receive today. This is the new reality that Jesus came to bring us. He gives it back. He bought it. He paid for it. And it's his. He's a rightful owner to it. He gives it back and he'll trade it with you for free. He'll give it to you. Thank you, Jesus. I say, what a trade. What an exchange. All of my unrighteousness for all of your righteousness. All of my filthy for all of your freedom. All of my disgusted for all of your freedom. What a trade he made with us. Deliverance, peace, hope, freedom. He says, when I come to you, you get healed, prospered, protected, preserved, made whole. Another son named Jesus, he left his home in heaven too. But it wasn't out of immaturity or impulse. It was a decision that he made. And he went out in the wilderness and started starving right away. He fasted for 40 days and he was hungry. And the Bible says a tempter came to Jesus and said, If you're really the Son of God, turn this stone into some bread and eat it right now. Just like Esau. Jesus didn't need to turn the stones into what he already was. He said, I am the bread of life. He says, I am the Son of God. And I will not trade my birthright. And all these people, I'm going to give a birthright for a bowl of bread or a bowl of beans. And we, like Esau, we have all taken the bowl at some level or another. We have all been famished fools somewhere in our life. But Jesus says, now I am your perfect sacrifice. And what I went through in past, the thing that I overcame, the thing that I did not eat that was right in front of me, I now transfer it to you. And if you'll come home today, I will give you back your rightful birthright as a son, as a daughter. No sob stories, no shame, no spiels. Just come now and you will receive my grace and you will receive my mercy because I am the God of second chances and hundred chances and millions of chances. He is rich in mercy. And if you want to come home today, you have a father that's ready right now to meet you more than halfway.